All right, ready? Nice. Okay. One, two, three. Oh, that looked beautiful. It looked perfect. Hi, everybody. My name's Sam. And my name's Ben. And we're the, the Book Bear Bear Boys. Boys. <laughs> Great. Do you think we got it? It's it's wonderful, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably not. I really hope. It. Yeah, I really hope. Uh, um, anyway, that's my grievance of the day. So, Ben. <laughs> so, hi, everybody. Welcome, everybody. I'm Sam. And I'm Ben. And, and we're the Book and Fair we're, Boys. Here we are. We're here. This is what we're doing. Um, Where are you? What are you doing? Today, we are talking about K.A. Applegate's second insta- installation. Second uh, what's the word? It's her episode. Her second art installation. It's, it's on 34th and Chelsea. I don't know if those are streets that intersect. Okay, the, um, the the laudable Catherine Applegate. Um, we're talking about the Visitor, Animorphs number two. Yeah, Animorphs two. Bad vibes harder. Bad vibes harder. <laughs> it's called the Visitor. Sam, I have a question for you. Why is this book called the Visitor? I suppose. The visitor would be Rachel, who is visiting the house. The house that she's in is that what you think? Yeah, I guess that's the only visitation that takes place in the novel. Yeah, I just had a moment a few minutes ago where I had two things that went through my brain. The first was I was amazed at this book at how precise and succinct it was at being an episode of a TV show. Yes, right. Like if we talked about the first one last week, we were all over the place. You know, some drinks were had. Mm. Some good times were had, good vibes were had, but good we, were, vibes. we were all over the place because it was a little bit of a hot mess structurally of a novel when you think about the through line. And I think since we've talked about, I can't remember if we recorded, did we record when we talked about like origin stories and like how origin stories are kind of like a mess? And I talked about how I'm treating my current novel kind of like an origin story after reading The Last Animorphs because it has a lot of that oh, fun and yeah. games play. You know, you uh, you did talk about that. I don't know if it, I don't remember if it was in the one that we recorded or not. The first one, because it's an origin story, it felt a lot messier. This feels straightforward and clean, but I don't know what the fucking visitor is. That was the second thought I had. <laughs> the second thought I had was okay. Was this feels like a solid episode, but it feels like it feels like she had her equivalent of a show bible. She had her series bible, mm-hmm. where she had mapped out. Okay, we've got Animorphs one bought and sold. You know, we're going to write out the next 10 books. Here's my 10 episode arc or whatever it is. And I just got to come up with names for all of them. Because I'm imagining once you sell the first one, you sell the series, right? So that's that's my hope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's fair. But yeah, I mean, I gotta imagine that she she wasn't contacted by Scholastics to write, hey, can you write a second one? And, you know, without the idea that she would write yeah. a third one. Like, there was probably, like, at some point, I'm guessing her agent was like, you gotta get a fucking series Bible down. You gotta give me, like, a, a short bullet yeah, for or, each book. you know, she already had it, or they created it together. You know, knowing what I know today about publishers and, and agents, it's a pretty big draw if you're like, this is gonna be the beginning of uh, a series. You know, this isn't just a one-off, but I have future ideas, you know. If you can have, as part of your query, the fact that this is, you know, not just a one-off, but you have other books that are coming out or, like, further mm. down the pike. You know, you're an author to work with and not just a one-hit wonder. So I assume that that was part of her query to the agent or publisher or whatever originally, that, like, she maybe had part of the show Bible planned out or uh, was already working on the second book. I don't know. But you're right that it seems like this is part of a much larger plan that's already been thought out. Yeah, the first one kind of feels like it could have been a one and done. I mean, it feels like a pilot in that way. I'm going to keep thinking about this as a TV show because the first one did feel like, all right, if you're done with Animorphs 1, and I think we said this last time, it's okay. It's out there in the universe. You know, it never got bought. It didn't take on. But, you know, we've got a nice solid ending. We've got some, you know, projection forward of further adventure into the future. But with this book... It's just an episode of a TV show. That one felt a lot more like a complete arc of like a full transformation. It had its own themes. It had, you know, themes that were very heavy. This one felt simpler, straightforward, more direct, and also, yeah, it felt like a Scooby-Doo episode. You know, I mean, like, it doesn't matter by the time you get to the end. 
it doesn't matter that they didn't really make any progress. They made small incremental progress like you would on a like series long of television, and that small incremental progress contributes to an overall goal, but it's not like anything was really achieved. They just did something small and had an adventure, and now they're on to their next one, you know? Yeah, there is some sense of forward momentum and, like, victory, but even so, it's, it's um, like, negligible, basically. Yeah. You know, the fight, the fight goes on. So what what is the fight, Ben? Like, what happens in The Visitor? Oh, my God. Okay, I'm so glad you asked me this. So I'm going to answer your question <laughs> with a question, Sam. Ooh, yeah, we're okay. going to play a game here. Ooh. So I want you to list out every bit of what you think of as important exposition that took place in book one. What are the oh important things from book one that, as okay. a reader, if you're picking up book two, you absolutely have to know? Well, um, essentially, there's a group of kids, and they see an alien crashed land in their town. Okay. And uh, he's like, there's bad vibes coming. And, and, and what's his, gives... what is he called? <clears throat> he is an Andalite. Okay. He is Prince Alfangor of the Andalite world, uh, and Andalitia. And um, oh, nice. they... <laughs> Is that, I don't know if it's named. He gives them the power to morph into animals so that they can defeat the Yerks who okay. are invading Earth, right? And he's like, there's more Andalites coming and they'll help you, but for now, the, like, the fight's in your hands. And what are the Yerks? The Yerks are gray slugs that crawl into your ear and attach to your brainstem and control your body. And when you get infected with a Yerk, you become a controller. Okay. Right? And there's a couple different other species of controllers. So, you know, you have human controllers, like the Yerks have been on it for a while. Then you also have taxon controllers, and the taxons uh, willingly, like, voluntarily let Yerks into their heads because um, they... Because they're evil. Yeah, they, they don't give a shit. Um, and, uh, and then there's the Hork-Bajir, who are like the Urukai of the alien world. And yep. then there's Visser Three, who is the only Andalite to have taken a Yerk. Okay. Um, I think, voluntarily? Is that voluntarily? Did he do that? Uh, I don't think that we've gotten that information yet, and I honestly don't remember. <laughs> and I couldn't care less. I, no, I, I, think, I think it does turn out that he did that. Uh, so there's like... We'll see. Like, as we get later on in the series, and I don't know if we'll get this far, there's, like, the Andalites gave the the Yerks the first set of things that they controlled because they felt bad for them because they were just slugs in a pool, but they were intelligent. And it was called, like, somebody's oh. gift, like, the name of somebody's gift. And it's their Jeez, source of great shame because they accidentally created the Yerks when they did this as, like, a, a evil species. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, so that I remember for sure, but I can't remember if the Andalite that was infected also did something intentional. All I know is that that's the reason that Prince Elfangor giving the kids the ability to morph ends up being a big deal later on, because he was technically doing the Andalite equivalent of, like, breaking the Prime Directive. Mm -hmm. You know, after they did this terrible thing with the Yerks, they just don't give away technology or help other species outside of their natural evolution, because bad shit can happen, apparently. Okay, okay, so the reason okay, I asked... So then, yeah. Oh, go keep going. If you, you have oh, more the exposition... Last thing I was gonna say, well, yeah, so the last thing I was going to say is uh, you can't be an animal for more than two hours, and if you are, you are stuck as that animal, and that unfortunately happened to their friend Tobias, who's turned into a hawk at the end of book one. Nice. Good. Okay. So I'm going to talk about what happened in this book, but what we have in the first chapter is what I want to call a master class in recap. <laughs> this first this... chapter, well, these first two chapters, this book starts with a little sort of secondary misadventure. It's the only part of the book that's not connected mm-hmm. to the larger plot. It's basically Rachel and the five Animorphs are just flying up in the sky and some shitty kids are taking pot shots at them, even though they're birds of prey. So they're they've morphed into these birds of prey. Rachel's a bald eagle. Some shitty kids are sitting down there with a shotgun, just shooting up in the air at them. And they decide that they are going to go and teach these kids a lesson. And so they swoop down and they steal their gun and their beer and they throw it into a lake. Except, well, yeah. into the lake and into the trash can, respectively. Right. They don't litter. Yeah, they're protectors yeah. of nature at this point. 
And this and whole then the one dude is like, "Oh man, birds shouldn't be able to do that. It ain't right." <laughs> like, do you got my gun, Gerald, or whatever? It's very yeah. like you can hear the twang. Yeah, it's very. It reminds me of like a, a Simpsons episode, you know, like um, something weird happens and one character is just like, "Oh man." Yep. So while this is happening, this whole section is really just a chance to one establish all of their personalities. So you have, like, Jake, who is a peregrine falcon, so he rushes in headfirst. He was the leader and the point of view in the last one. You have a chance for them to kind of talk about Marco, who gets to make some jokes, and we see that he's a little bit of a jokester. This is from Rachel's yeah. point of view, who was, I think, the least developed of the characters last time, outside of Tough Girl. And so we get to really kind of get a chance to be in her head a little bit. And we kind of get a little bit on Cassie towards the end of the second chapter. So we establish their interpersonal dynamics, the five of them, and then I'm just going to read the introduction. I think that within the first two paragraphs, we actually get to almost all of the exposition that you just listed as the things we need to know going into this, which is... Okay. So she goes with, My name is Rachel. I won't tell you my last name. None of us will ever tell you our last names. Whenever I do use a last name, it's fake. Sorry, but that's the way it has to be. And we won't tell you the name of our town or our school or even what state we're in. So we have a nice callback situation here now. Mm -hmm. If I told you my last name, the Yerks would be able to find my friends and me. And if they ever find us, it will be the end. They might kill us or worse. Yes, there really is something worse than death. I've seen it. I've heard the cries of despair from those doomed to be slaves to the Yerks. I've watched as the big evil gray slugs writhe and (laughs) squeeze in through the air and take over what is a free human being. There are just five of us just five or there are five of us just five jake cassie marco tobias and me marco came up with a name for us which is what we are now he called us the animorphs i guess it's a good name for any of us mostly i just feel like a normal kid you know but i guess normal kids don't turn into elephants or bald eagles and normal kids don't spend their free time fighting to save the world from nightmares called yerks all right so there's a little bit of other talk 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 about the yerk mothership up in space um, she hits the taxons. They have enslaved many races mm-hmm. to the galaxies. The taxons, the hork Bajir, and others. Now they've come to Earth looking for more bodies to control. Who was there to try to stop them? Well, off in space, where are the Andalites? And so this like, whole section, <laughs> it's probably about 250 words, but it's amazing. As I was reading this, I was like, shit, this is it. Essentially, you have all of those major points that are established and then after we go through this like monologue that takes place mm-hmm. you know about on earth no one knows there's the yerks no one but five, five kids who are having fun riding thermals establishing space we started getting into some hints like tobias the smoothest flyer that's probably because red-tailed hawks are natural acrobats partly though it was also because tobias had much more practice flying than the rest of us so you have like some callbacks for kids who have read the first book they're like oh shit but then you start to explain as you go further on what happened to tobias There's, like, lots of really smart ways that we take what was essentially three chapters of exposition in the last one and just cram it into two paragraphs. Well, you know, I realize that, like, with my own work, I feel like I have all these complex ideas and all this stuff. I'm like, how am I ever going to communicate this in a condensed format? But you talk about it so much and, and you know it so well. By the time you sort of get down to the wire... Uh, you're like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, oh, God, is that what my idea amounts to? 200 words of yeah. nonsense? Well, and it's almost like um, 200 words of nonsense with Yerks. And she gets eventually into the Candrona rays. And like she, she does all yeah. of that in the first chapter um, through Rachel. But I guess what was really impressive to me about this is it felt like the sort of equivalent of like a if this is a Saturday morning cartoon show of like the theme song where you're seeing all of the kids turn into animals and it's showing the picture of the the yerk you know going into somebody's ear you know it's it's like very simple communication of basic ideas before you get into the plot so we just get all of that out of the way in our dumb little three paragraph summary and then we're we're there we're like into the story so um I'll get into the story in a second but I think that we just hit Probably outside of just Tobias being stuck in his morph, we hit all of your first major points. We, we talked about the Hork-Bajir, we talked about the Taxons, mm-hmm. we talked about the Yerks, we talked about the kids can change into animals. We've established all of that in the first couple paragraphs. And I know I'm talking about this a lot, but I guess what was really impressive to me about this is I kept thinking, all right, if you're writing your series book, how do you get past the old information in order to get to the new information but not leave people like struggling because you know this is something that we have to deal with a lot with tv shows nowadays like everything is serialized nothing starts easy nothing you can't pick up like 
on episode four of any given season of television or you just know you're going to be lost, right? It's just not the way right. that television works anymore. But these books are individual and you would buy them at Scholastic book fairs and you would just get like number four because it happened to have a cool picture of a bear on it and you're five years old or you're 12 years old or you're somewhere in that range and you just think the bear and a person turning into a bear is cool and you pick it up and they had to market to those kinds of people and it's really smart the way that they've found a way to cram exposition into the start of this one. I'll be interested to see if they keep doing this because if they do, there's got to be something that we can learn from this when it comes to, I don't know, serialized storytelling because too much of it is dependent upon the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's why that's one of the reasons that I wanted to pick this up again because it's you know the question that I'm trying to answer with my own work. It's not necessarily uh, a serialized story, but it, it there is like a bunch of setup that's established in like the first volume that I feel like is necessary for like the second volume you know I don't know it's a good question it's a, like it's a good question about like how how exactly do you do that in a way that feels dynamic and interesting to the people who already know what you're saying like the people who already read book one and feels like condensed enough that it doesn't just feel like an exposition dump to people who are just picking up this book right now you know haven't read book one yeah, and I mean, it does feel like an exposition dump here, but it feels like it for four paragraphs, and then we're in the scene. And the scene is what does most of the legwork, which is establishing the personalities of the characters, which is really what you're going to need to carry you through this, right? Like, you've got to get your basic information out of the way, but she just brute forces it in. And that's interesting because, like, I don't know, that's kind of against everything that I was taught. None of this exposition is active, except that Rachel is talking at us. Like, theoretically, we are the we are a listener that's being invited to hear a tale. So this is like the, you know, sit down around the campfire children and I'll tell you the story of the Mr. Grimm, you know, and this is before we introduce the characters is Ooh. we hear about who Mr. Grimm is first. And then we start learning about the, like the little kids in their scene with scene one who are about to encounter Mr. Grimm, you know, um, Who's Mr. Grimm. I don't know. Some, it's just something I just made. You can have it. It's not, it's not trademarked or anything. Um, <laughs> no, it's, tell it's, me more. it's no, just two, um... two words that, <laughs> Mr. Grimm. Um, <laughs> I imagine like that's that's my like three year old voice. Is Mr. Grimm outside? Like, no. <laughs> no, he's not outside, sweetie. You're okay. He's Mr. In Grimm. Here. Um, <laughs> Mr. Grimm is in the house. He's calling from in the house. He's calling. <laughs> he's calling from. He's calling from your phone. Like, what? And then he looks in the mirror. He's Mr. Grimm. He's like, oh no. Um, anyway i don't know what i was oh um you know you're right that it's sort of that like theme song storytelling feel that it's sort of a minute and then you get over it it reminds me of sitcoms everything from like green acres to fairly odd parents to spongebob Hmm. the theme songs had a little bit of exposition right and it, it could be as simple as like he's a he's a fucking sponge he lives in a pineapple don't think about it (laughs) (laughs) he's dexter he's got a laboratory he's got a sister named Dee Dee. like yeah right like they all had some sort of introduction or exposition to the things that you really needed to know yeah or like fairly odd parents was the whole you know he's he's got fairies he he has fairy godparents green acres i loved i don't know why these are the examples that come to mind (laughs) green acres Do you ever watch Green Acres? No, I, I mean, even Beverly Hillbillies, like, or... Yes, right? Like, or uh, Fresh where, Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, it's just like, hey, here's how this situation occurred, that you have these characters yeah. in this place that you wouldn't normally expect them. Um, yeah, but this reminds me the most of uh, Avatar, you know, the uh, whole yes. opening is like, oh, his name's Aang, and it, everything counts on him, but he's just a kid, and we're on a journey. And then it's, you know. <laughs> There's four nations. <laughs> the one of thing. them is fire. One of them's water. One of them's earth. Yeah. One of them's air. <laughs> we found him in an iceberg. Here we go. Yeah. A very straightforward exposition. Yeah. It's interesting. And again, this will be the last time I say it, but I will be really interested because I haven't revisited The Encounter, I think is number three. I can't remember, but mm-hmm. I haven't revisited yep. number three since that binge that I had six months ago um <laughs> when we first started cool. talking about this uh this show so i i can't remember if they do the similar thing but getting back to where we're at like it's okay. worth spending a lot of time 
on this little mini-sode that they do in the beginning because it is all exposition. It's all establishing personalities and dynamics. But then after that, we're off to the fucking races, which is Mm -hmm. Rachel is going to, she's going to try to figure out like what the next step is in their plan. They gather together at Rachel's house, all of the kids, the Animorphs, and they essentially just kind of talk through what they need to do now that they failed at destroying the Candrone Array. So we got four kids and a hawk. Yeah, and they have a code now, right? They're like, you want to listen to that new album on the phone? And uh, there's much mention of homework and and like normal school stuff as well in this book. So they're sort of like, yeah, there is. oh, we can't do our super secret mission tonight because I have to write that paper, which wasn't really present in the first book, which I love. It was a very Peter Parker vibe yeah. in, in the sense of being way out of your league in terms of yes. what you're actually doing. Yeah. And it was actually a really subtle and in-universe way to just constantly remind us that these people are kids, which it's easy to get away from. Yeah, there's a, like, get a sense of how they're fitting this into their schedule better. We're Rachel's like, okay, it's about 8 o'clock now, we can do the machine, be home, do the math homework, and go to bed, you know. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of that that goes on. But so they're trying to figure out the plan, right? They're like, what's our next move? Yeah, they have their misadventure or their little, you know, mini-sode um, in the woods as birds, and then they get together and they basically like, all right, so what do we do? We know that we need to destroy this Candrona. We don't really know what it is except that it's a pool, but we don't know how to like get to the thing that makes the rays. We're not, we're not super familiar about what's going on. So like, all right, we got to follow somebody. You know, we know a couple controllers. We'll figure out which controller we want to follow, and we'll just follow them and see where they go, which, yeah. again, is like very, a, a, a very episodic. <laughs> it's very serialized. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're not going to save the world today. We're just going to follow somebody, and they'll hopefully reveal some information. So. Right. Initially, Jake's like, ah, well, we could do Tom, but I think Tom's out. Okay, that's fine. So who's the other one we yeah. can do? Principal and Chapman. The, yeah, assistant, um, assistant Principal Chapman. And then they also know that, like, the door that they took to the pool the first time is now gone. Jake was like, I checked oh, on Oh, that's it, right. And we can no longer access. So they have a little debrief, and they figure out what the plan is. And essentially the plan becomes Rachel's like, all right, well, I used to be very close with Melissa, who is assistant principal Chapman's daughter. So I'm going to try to figure out a way to get close to her and hang out with her. Maybe then I'll find out what the deal is with Chapman. So like, <laughs> yeah. that's just it's essentially like, like I'm gonna... going on. Like, I don't yeah, know. Like they're like, oh, we'll, fi- we'll figure it out. So, yeah. so the rest of the plot follows that thread. Like we established this very, like this is immediately what the plan is. And the rest of the plot, there's there's not a whole lot of fun in games. Like, there's a little sort of misadventure where Rachel turns halfway into an elephant because there's some person sexually stalking her. Um, yeah, we, which, we gotta talk you about You know what? This. Actually, can we... Let's do this. I, here's a, another game. Let's okay. get all of the sex stuff out of the way um, this oh. time. Oh, man. Let's just do it really quickly. And then... Because, I mean, I feel like there's, there's something else that I thought was really interesting about this one, and I want to get your take on it, which is... There's always, it's about change, it's about sexual maturation, it's about adult maturation, clearly, but there's also just the simple fact that, like, kind of once you establish that this is happening, um, that this is like a power set within this universe, it also just practically becomes a power set within the universe, right? Like, not everything is going to be a one-to-one metaphor, I think, moving forward, in a very clean way, I found myself really stretching a couple times as I was reading this. I was like, oh, this could be like a metaphor for this, this, and this, because they're morphing, and like, and she's turning into a shrew, which is an animal that, you know, is experiencing a whole lot of a fear, and this is right after her encounter with somebody who tried to, you know, sexually assault her, so oh, like, maybe this is an experience. I was like, I was going all in, and I yeah. think you can do that way too much with this, mm-hmm. because it's also just, you know, rote like the fact that this you know that now in this universe we have this power set yeah um, kind of like you know spider-man goes through sexual transformation when he becomes spider-man and now he's got his spider powers because he was yeah. by a spider now his and, like, you know, sticky cum saves the day exactly um. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it feels like he invented it and it's just coming out oh uh, it does that's so that's so true it feels like i i invented this yeah well okay so so let's just get it out of the way by, Okay, so by the same logic that Tobias and Jake have their moment in the first book, right? Yes. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a cat, you be a dog. Um, <laughs> Tobias has the same sort of moment with Rachel in the beginning, 
where uh, she's sort of nervous that, you know, she's like, this is my first time being a bird. And <laughs> Oh, I didn't even like, think about that. That's true. So Tobias is like, it's okay. Just relax. Ride the thermals, babe. <laughs> and like hands her a joint or, you know, the <laughs> being a bird equivalent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cassie, because she is around animals all the time, has a better understanding, like, innately of how animals, like, function and shit. And that's sort of her bit for this book where she's, like, a fun fact machine about the animals. Yeah. Like, she's sort of the, yeah. you know, she's the scientist. You know, you were talking about Star Trek. Like, she's sort of the doctor character yeah, yeah, yeah. for this book, you know. And then there's also mention about how, like, when she transforms, it's beautiful, and when everyone else transforms, it's sort of gross and ugly looking. But she has made an art out of transformation, the same way that if you lived on a sex farm, you would probably have pretty artistic <laughs> sex. I don't know. I kind of reached for that one. I don't know what a sex farm is. Uh, they they keep the Sam, sex Sam in lives, cages. Sam lives in upstate New York, people. He does know what a sex farm is. I do. Don't don't try me. <laughs> Sounds really dark. I, I hope that sex farms aren't a legitimate thing. The FBI is like, we heard you know about sex farms. <laughs> I don't know. And then, you know, talking about sex shit, Rachel is made to feel so guilty about escaping this fucking creep. Yes. She, like, feels so embarrassed about it, and they all give her shit about it. No one is like... Oh, Rachel, are, sorry, are you I think okay? Cassie. Yeah, no one is like Rachel. Are you good? Like, um, fuck that guy. He deserved getting chased by an elephant. I had written down the assault thing too. It is interesting that the first big moment of this is a moment of immediate shame too. So you have Rachel. They've made their plan. She's tried to, you know, get Melissa to hang out with her, and then she is walking home and she's upset because she's just feeling very distant from lots of people in her life, and some dude essentially tries to uh to kidnap her and sexually assault her i mean some guy rolls yeah. down his window is like hey baby get in my car and she's like no and he's like hey baby get in my car and then gets out and starts to chase her yeah, at which point kids book yeah at which point she begins to turn into an elephant but turns into an elephant just enough to where she can turn around and essentially give this man nightmares for the rest of his life by having like a giant weird elephant tusks coming out, like giant Arnold Schwarzenegger arms it's described as. And then she immediately marches back into a human, but then Chapman, the source of danger, comes and picks her up and says, hey, we saw this guy running away from you. Is everything okay? So there's instantly a shame connected with her exercise of power against this sexual predator. Yes. And then you have, like you'd mentioned, the fact that they all kind of get together and like pile on about like, why did you do that? Well, and then if like the turning into animal is this sort of like sexual awakening or whatever, she morphs into, uh, you know, what is seen as like an intelligent, strong creature and that's what scares the guy away. Oh, interesting. And they, all of her friends are like, well, why'd you do that, slut? Except for Cassie, it needs to be. Except there, for Cassie, there yeah, is There is the female solidarity. Jake and Marco are like, that was really dumb. And she's like, yeah, I know it was really dumb. Yeah. And Cassie is like, it might have been really dumb, but I would have paid my next 10 allowances to see the look on that guy's face when he saw you. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the only sex things I have. I mean, Tobias calms her down again when she's the shrew. Yes. Um, okay, so I had her and Jake, who are cousins, they discuss their morph dreams together. Oh, okay. So, yeah. like, you know, after she turns into a shrew, she has a nightmare where she is a shrew eating a bunch of maggots that are in a cat's <laughs> dead body. And yeah, she wakes gross. up screaming and terrified and goes and throws up. And Jake had previously turned into a lizard, and he had had bad dreams about being a lizard afterwards. And so they have this talk about, like, oh, yeah, uh, it's kind of like weird, shameful talk in the hallway where she's like, yeah, I'm just really tired. And he's like, hey, have you been having nightmares? And she's like, well, nightmares? I haven't been having nightmares. Have you been having nightmares? And he's like, yeah. And he, Jake comes out. He's like, yeah, I have nightmares after the lizard sometimes. You know, <laughs> you just have nightmares when the animals aren't really like you. You know, and they get in your head. They're less compatible. So maybe you just have nightmares. Um, yeah. But then he talks about his other dreams, which are his tiger dreams, which is interesting because this gets into the mythos, but it's almost, there's a general sense that, like, when you put these morphs in you, Cassie says this earlier too, hey, I'm looking at you, but I'm also realizing that you have four morphs in you. You know, you, not yeah. just Rachel, but you have the most right. morphs of all of us and that mm -hmm. you've got an elephant, a shrew. She says that at one point, and you do get the sense that there is an animal imprint on them because Jake talks about also 
like his tiger dreams. He's like, yeah, I've had a lot of tiger dreams. Yeah, you have these conflicting personalities inside of you. Like, and she even says at one point, like, these are animals that could eat each other and their mindsets are inside of you, which is really interesting, you know? And Jake even says, or is it Jake? I forget who says, like, you know, when I'm depressed, I wish I could just make a morph and turn into something else. And you're like, yeah, yeah. dude, that would be great. If you're, in, if you're stuck in one mindset, morph into a different mindset. You know, yeah. you have all these personalities within you. It's true. Uh, the only other thing that's kind of reaching is I do think you could tie a through line here if you're really going to stretch. I know I was kind of making fun of myself earlier, but I do think you can tie a through line here where there's this potential sexual assault in the beginning. Her first partial morph that takes place in the book, she does to scare this guy away. And then she turns into a terrified creature and she's terrified of Tobias, right? She's terrified yes. specifically of Tobias yeah. and all of her friends when she turns into this creature. And so she's the shrew. She's running around. Then later on, when she turns into a cat, she's also terrified of Tobias. And there's a moment where she talks about how she was scared, but this time she was scared and angry. And there's a little bit of kind of a, a sense that, like, they both share the same fear of Tobias. And Tobias is eventually uh, a character that she has a sort of like romantic relationship with. So there was something there that I felt like was interesting, at least as a subtext, um, that there's like fear is going to be associated with Rachel's experience of morphing if that has something to do with sex. Somehow like there's a fear through line and a power through line that's associated with it, which seems to be part of this. And then the last thing that I have, <laughs> the last, last thing, is I think Kay Applegate might have some, um, she might have some furry stuff going on here. Um... I want to read uh, specifically a section where, as Rachel starts to turn into a cat, there's I a moment... I'm so excited to hear this. In the case of Fluffer, so she talks about how every morph is different. Yeah. Morph, each morphing is different, especially the first time when you can't think about controlling how it happens. Even Cassie can't control the first morph. In the case of Fluffer, it started with the first, Fluffer McKitty, who is the cat. Uh, black fur came first, and then the white began to grow. The fur had almost completely grown in while I was still mostly human. I had luxurious fur on my arms, on my legs, on my face, fur and whiskers, with everything else pretty much just the same. Oh, that is cool, Cassie said. She was staring at me and grinning this huge grin. That is way cool. You look great. Marco and Jake both nodded in agreement. It's kind of weird, but it's also kind of pretty, Marco said. I'm thinking that you could do commercials for cat food. You could sing a song, do a dance. Forget Morris the cat. You would rule. So this is, I think, I, I, I just immediately went to the most recent rendition of Cats and thought, you know what I mean? Oh, my God, yeah. This, like, sort of furry nightmare. Um, and I couldn't mm. help but think, there's something, I don't know, I, I don't know if <laughs> Kay Applegate's a, a proto-furry or what, but there's definitely something very unsubtle about everyone immediately thinking that she is completely beautiful when she tries to turn into a cat. I mean, you know, she does a lot to get into the mindsets of these different animals, and I think she does a great job of describing what the yeah. cat feels like, where she's like, oh, if it wasn't moving, I'm just not interested in it. And it wasn't that I was afraid of stuff, it's just that stuff became boring you know and so i wouldn't like pay attention to it and um humans are just generally boring so i don't pay attention to them and i was like wow it sounds like a cat um <laughs> and you know if you're you know you're on your computer late at night you're writing and uh you're sort of looking up cat stuff and eventually you kind of drift to you know some weird places of the internet if you're doing enough research and you know i don't know it's midnight she's having a bottle of wine fucking k Applegate's like i don't know it's it's cats, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly. Uh, this does feel... Okay, so we'll start getting plot. Is that all the sex stuff for you? That was all the sex stuff for me, was the potential furry... <laughs> the potential furry yeah. nugget. I'm not going to, like, say that I think K.A. Applegate is attending FurryCon or anything like that, but I, I do think that there's, like, a small nugget here. There's um, the morph dreams, and then there's something about you know, morphing being tied to fear and anger for Rachel after a sexual assault that I think is, yeah. is interesting. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really great point. And I did really note the sort of, like, um, pseudo-slut-shaming that goes on. Yes, the, the slut-shaming. Um, after that. You know, so, because if, if you're, like, you know, the direct metaphor is, like, animal to sex, then it's like, oh, how could you have had sex in public? And then, like... You know, there's no mention of, like, hit the, the dude's intent or whatever. Yeah. You know, basically. Or the fact that there was any, any potential threat of violence or anything that was going on associated yeah. with this dude that was literally about to drag her into a car. All right, so we've got the sex okay. stuff out of the way. 
Um, yeah. We have this through line where we're going to try to get close to Melissa and we're going to try to find out something, anything. Ideally where the Candrona is, but we don't really quite know what we're looking for yet. The way that we do this is we, we have Rachel and company and they essentially decide they're going to try to get close to Melissa, but the way that they're going to do it is they're going to stake out her house and find Fluffer McKitty, who is her <laughs> her cat. Yeah. And Rachel's going to turn into Fluffer McKitty and Rachel's going to have free reign to wander around the house. And she's going to follow Chapman wherever he goes. So they do this. They uh, they go and they capture Fluffer McKitty. She turns into a shrew to lure him out of a tree. Yeah. Um, and it's, turn- it, you know, there's sort of that um, South Park thing of the, the way that they write episodes. Those two guys, uh, Parker and Stone, they talk about writing episodes like, instead of saying, and then this happened, try to say, but then this happened. It makes a more interesting story. So it's like, yeah. they try to get the cat, but the cat scratches them and go up goes up a tree so they have to come up with a new plan so they find a shrew to like try to lure the cat out of the tree but then the shrew when she turns into a shrew you know the shrew is scared and she runs away so they have to solve that there's a lot of like butts that happen that i thought was really impressive yeah and all on the same story arc like they're trying to solve the first problem which is how do we get in the house we find fluffer mckitty and then once they get into the house um and rachel gets into the house she makes some discoveries which the butt then there, she withholds from the group, right? She discovers right. some things, but she's not going to give them all the information because she recognizes the situation is innately dangerous. So she she goes in, they find Fluffer McKitty, she turns into Fluffer McKitty, and then while the rest of the Animorphs engage in what I think are probably very hilarious hijinks, just trying to keep the other cat away from the house, <laughs> yeah. um, she goes and sneaks in with Tobias flying overhead to sort of do air support. And she yeah. walks in, she's very confident in her cat morph, she is very convincing as a cat. I mean, the lizard stuff and the dog stuff in the last book were convincing, but this feels really, really like the way... Like, it feels like a fundamental personality shift in an interesting way. That's um, what I mean. Like, the, the dog stuff, you're like, okay, now you're a dog, and that's sort of simple. And, and you're happy. Lizard is, is, yeah. yeah, and you're happy. You got a big nose. Um, <laughs> and as a lizard, you're, like, scared and running around and everything is big. You know, that's all pretty basic compared to some of the cat stuff is is really complex yeah like she has to start negotiating with the cat mind there's an interesting dramatic tension because she doesn't want to fully take over the cat mind because it it radiates a sort of confidence and she's walking into a scary situation so she kind of lets it continue to remain in control to some degree which you know builds some tension because she's not highly concerned about time tobias has to keep reminding her about the morph time and that she needs to make some progress in there and so eventually she has to negotiate because the cat brain doesn't want to pay attention to Chapman and convince it that, okay, Chapman is our prey, which is something that you see cats do too. I thought this was fun. Like you see cats just decide that they're suddenly going to pay attention to the humans around them. And when they do that, it is usually for play, right? And it's for play. Yeah. That's specifically like they're going to hide in a corner and wait and come out and pounce on your foot. Like they're yeah, they're, like you'll turn a corner into a room and they'll be looking around the other doorway and you're like, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was not sneaky. Um, so she sneaks in. Uh, and luckily, Chapman just happened to be ready to go in for his nightly check-in with Visitor 3 in their Star Trek space room, which is in the basement. Yeah. Which, Melissa, I can't remember if they talk about it being obscured. I was reading pretty quickly to catch up on this. And Rachel's following him down in the basement. And then suddenly he's putting his hand on a panel next to a door, a metal door. Right. So he puts his hand on the panel. It scans. And then the door slides open with a hiss, like something well, he... out of Star Trek. Yeah, he unlocks a white door, and then the metal door is behind that door, and then okay, he puts his hand that. on the yeah, he puts his hand on the thing, and then it opens, and then he goes into this like side room, which it seems like it just has like other light up panels, like not even a keyboard or anything, but just other panels that you can put your hands on. Yeah, it's very... That's sort of how I picture it. It's very, uh, yeah, a, a straight white room. There's a desk in there because she hides under the desk in the second trip down to the basement. But she basically follows him, and he contacts Visser 3. And this is where we get uh, a delightful series of really, really fun sci-fi terms. <laughs> yeah. We've just got, really... like, tons of vowels that are following each other. We've got, you know, four consonant strings... Like and there's always a council. You gotta have the council. The council you know. of thirteen. Yeah. Did you? What did you write down? 
Did oh, you write for any this? Down? Yeah. Um, I wrote Visser sucks yerks. <laughs> he does. He becomes a Varna, a Vanarx, not a Varnax, <laughs> a Vanarx. <laughs> Although I kept reading it as uh, Ver Verarx. What did you just say? Same it's a, it's a Vanarx. V a n a r x. Yeah, but what did you use? I I, can, I said Varnax at first. That's the way that I hear it in Varnax. my brain for some reason. Yeah. And uh, I, I I read it some different way, and then I was like, oh, it's Varynx. And then I was like, I think it would be better the way that I said it. <laughs> but I don't remember exactly what it was. It must have been like Varnax or something. Because Varnax rolls off the tongue in a way that I, I sort of have to think about Varynx. Vanarx. Uh, is it Vanarx? I think it's Vanarx. That also doesn't roll uh, off the tongue. I hate it. What did you write down? Um, Chapman is Innis226 of the Salt Niar Pool. Which is, I just thought, yes. a delightful title. Uh, yeah. And it also gets back to if we have Visser 3 and we understand that Visser is, like, general and 3 is a pretty small number, which means that he's really high up there. I love that Ennis226 is probably, like, lieutenant shithead. Like, he's he's major, major. Yeah. Um, but I love how bureaucratic it is. They don't even have names. It's just, like, a letter and a number. And then there was a delightful moment where he he prostrates himself essentially before Visser Three. So we have a hologram of Visser Three show up, and he says something like, "May the Candrona shine and strengthen you." And then okay. and then Visser Three w- goes, <laughs> "And you also." Like, and there was almost this priestly mo- quality to it. It's yes, yeah. and also with you. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, I think that's how we should end our episodes now. Um, May the yes. Candrona shine on you, and what is it? And strengthen Sh- you. And strengthen you. <laughs> I gotta write it down because I'll forget it. I I loved that, and I loved that Visser Three was sort of like, yes, yes, and you as well. What's the update <laughs> on the Andalites? Visser Three is such a little bitch in this. It's so good. He is scary, but he's also like kind of delightful in this. He's having a good time. He's just like living his best life as Visser Three. You know, he's he's pissed off and he's like shouting around. He's like showing torture videos to. Of, of like how he sucked this other yerk out of like the last Innes's head who failed him. Like he's doing a lot of like really nefarious shit, but he's having a fun time doing it. And so then he notices Rachel in the corner and you know, they're just talking about mundane stuff. And he's like, he just loves this cat. He's like, he's like, Oh, what a delightful little beast. It's, you know, yeah. he's, he's kill very, it. he's like, kill, kill it now. It could be an Andalite, but he's just delighted by, uh, I mean, you know, Definitely K. Applegate is a cat person. He, he like, tries to strike yes. at it with his little scorpion tail. And, you know, he's a hologram, so it just goes through. But, you know, Rachel lets the cat brain take over, and it hisses. And he's like, ah, see, it tries to strike me. What a wonderful little animal, you know? Yeah, but he, multiple times, he's like, oh, it hisses. That's amazing. <laughs> Kill it. And then, yes, and then the same thing, because then she starts purring. And, and he's, you know, the whole thing is Chapman doesn't want to... So let's get into Chapman. Chapman doesn't want to piss off Melissa. He would totally kill this cat. But Melissa wants this cat and loves this cat. And Melissa is not a controller. Both he and his wife are controllers. And we learn his backstory essentially through this middle part where, you know, Chapman was a willing controller, but he was a willing controller essentially to protect his daughter. Um, We get more on it later on, but initially we find out, like, you know, that Innis 226 is saying, no, we can't let the man who is Chapman, we don't want anything to, you know, upset his daughter. We don't want anything to, you know, compromise his position. Killing cats is seen as, as a, as a very poor act in poor form on this planet. Um, So, (laughs) So there's also, again, a little bit of fun in the sense that like Visser three just does not give a fuck. You can tell he has not done his research. Like he is just frat boying his way through this. He has no idea. He, at one point, he's like, they tell me that uh, the tigers and the other animals that were at the Condrona Ray aren't near there. Like, somebody's just, like, written up a report that's like, yeah, don't have tigers yeah. in the middle of, like, the U.S. <laughs> and they were, yeah, and they're like, if you'll notice the footnote at the bottom of my report, we did mention something called the zoo. And he's like, I can't read this. I have bigger <laughs> things to take care of. And he 
stomps away in his horse hooves. Um, <laughs> but he also, like, he doesn't understand... Yeah, it's true that he doesn't understand the planet that he's invading, where he's like, this little creature... Uh, there was a larger orange and black one that attacked us, and Chapman's like, yes, sir, that's a tiger. I don't and, give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a larger version yeah. of the same animal, essentially, he, <laughs> he ends up saying. So we learn also through the course of this little B-plot sort of situation in the middle of the book that uh, unwilling hosts can cause problems for their... Yes. Um, for their year, which they we, can make themselves twitch. Yeah, which we sort of knew before. There were moments in the first book when Tom... Um, Jake's brother would sort of like twitch and like like he was fighting for control of the Urk, you know. Um, yeah, and it gets pretty intense. There's an escalation where Visor Three tells Chapman that he has to bring the daughter Melissa to to get infested. Mm-hmm. And let's just go on ahead and do this. We'll we'll get her infested now. And he's like, we cannot do this. Essentially, he's like this. You don't understand. I'm in meetings all day. All day. Like, <laughs> I'm in meetings all day long. I cannot be twitching all over the place because my primary job is social. Like he's having yeah. to like explain this in very short sentences to Visser three who just does not give a fuck. Doesn't care. Like, but it, that's so interesting to me because like they're the Yerks are choosing people who are in positions of power. So clearly like assistant principal is a position of power enough, which just tells you like what kind of town this is. You know, it makes me think of like when I lived in Cincinnati, it was sort of like small towny, the suburb that we were in and the assistant principal would have had power, but he's also like an assistant principal, you know? That's not really a position of great strength, you know? Um, no. And the things that set him back are so almost cartoonish and how small they are. He's like, he could make me uh, twitch during a meeting. And Visser 3 is like, I, that's so inconsequential in his like, But he is having to explain, like, it's kind of seen as a sign of mental illness. It wouldn't be... Wouldn't be good for me to be constantly twitching. His the wife gained control of the hand and started choking herself at one point. Yeah, when they had said that they were going to take Melissa, um, when Innis two two six was talking to his wife's host or his wife's yerk, um, you really get the sense of the the middle manager in an invasion, the kind of bullshit that he has to deal yeah. with. He's like, he's like, I got people from the bottom that are pissed off at me. I'm talking to Visitor 3, and Visitor 3 couldn't give two fucks about my problems. What am I supposed to do about any of this? He comes to that first meeting, like, trying really hard. You can see he's prepared this speech. He's like, well, we got four new controllers. We got, uh, one of them's an FBI agent. And Visitor 3's yes. like, fuck off with your new controllers. I couldn't give two fucks. What are you doing about the Andalites, bitch? Yeah, I know. I didn't ask for this. It's so great. It's like the, the one Nazi who who's like in charge of a single outpost and he's like ah you don't understand the cows wander onto the outpost every day and they're like we're tr- we're trying to get the whole front into fucking uh, <laughs> poland or whatever you're the cows get shoot the cows you know <laughs> yeah it's delightful to see a little bit of like the year politics so Yerk politics um so you have you have Rachel in her first misadventure. She goes down there. She's discovered. Eventually, Visser Three is convinced that she's just a cat. And he's like, "All right, that's cool. That's fine. Yeah. Like, let her go. Don't don't cause any problems." She reports back to everyone. Okay, you know Chapman's got this weird thing in his basement, mm-hmm. but she does not reveal that a Visser Three was there, let alone that he saw her. You know, right. she's just like he's got a weird room, and he's like, you know, doing some yerky stuff in there, and I think I should follow him in there again. Mm-hmm. Um, is essentially what she says. There's also another side plot where we get to see how miserable Melissa is, which is really sad. Um, This is intense, man. I mean, it starts with Melissa sort of drifting away, and she's like, what do you care about me? Like, we're not friends anymore. And Rachel's sort of like, whoa, I gotta follow her to see what she knows about the aliens. And you're like, what about the thing she said about how you're not friends anymore? (laughs) You know? But that's intense, you know? Melissa's parents are someone different, and even at one point she's crying alone on her bed and she's like she says why don't they love me anymore and rachel's like oh geez like and and so she's like i gotta sit here and let her pet my cat form uh so that she's not totally alone while everyone else outside all the other animorphs are like you gotta get out of there you're almost out of time and everything but she's like this is what i i have to do and so when they're gearing up to do the second mission they're like oh, do you just want to go make things right with Melissa, that friend who you're in a fight with? You know, it would be one thing to be like, 
we can't go back for this person or whatever, but this is like a legitimate kid issue, you know, like or, you know, having a falling out with your friend and they're like, yeah, stop thinking with your heart, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, yeah. Cause she's like, I'm going to go back in there and, and yeah. And essentially you have, are you there for the mission or are you there for Melissa? Um, yeah. Very hardcore military thinking that's applied here, but it escalates too. So the second time she goes in, there is the, moment where she's following Chapman down and she's being super sneaky and Jake was a little bothered you know Tobias is kind of playing ring around the rosy because he can do his private thought speak and he's talking to everybody individually Mm -hmm. and Rachel notices at one point that he's talking to Cassie because he sees her eyes go blank and you know she thinks that all right well you know these people like they're worried about me because they heard I was freaked out when I came out of the basement yeah Tobias is sharing that information so you know Jake's like you should bring somebody in next time She's like, no, no, I got it. It's fine. I'm going to go in there. <laughs> Suddenly, Jake can't come to the next mission, you know. Yeah, um, he's grounded. He got grounded or something, you know. Like, they don't know why, but he, he can't be there. Right. So she goes down there, and she's following him around, and she's like, all right, I'm just going to follow Chapman. I'll go back down there again. And Jake is a flea on her back. He, like, scares the shit out of her. Yeah, um, he fucks this whole operation. I, I was so <laughs> surprised. I was like, wow, they don't trust her at all. I didn't know if it was a lack of trust, although, yeah, I mean, they don't take her at her word, and they do decide they're going to be there. But it feels like it's coming from a supportive place in the context of the narrative, at least in the way that I read it, because it's not because they don't think that she's reporting the right information. They just want to make sure she's safe and has backup, is essentially, like, Jake's logic behind all this. I don't know what the fuck he thinks he's going to do as a flea. But he's like, and then he's constantly like, she's trying to fight off Chapman, and he's like, uh, "Excuse me, what's going on out there?" Because he can't like, him. like he has no help whatsoever. I I was um I was bugged. furious. Yeah, I was I was bugged. Um, I have to say, and he scares the shit out of her the first time. She's like trying to be all slinky, and suddenly Jake is like, "Hey, uh, where are we?" And she like. You get the sense that it's almost like a cartoon image say, of a cat's yeah. tail puffing up and like jumping and its arms straight out with a mortis style. <laughs> yeah, and um, almost gives her away, you know, and like continually then is like, oh, well, as a flea, I can't see what's happening. So could you tell me? And she has to like consistently report to this dude so that, they, you know, they're found out again. And Visser 3 is like, okay, that cat has to be an Andalite take it with you to the construction site and also take melissa we already have a yerk picked out for her um it's like innis four seven or something like that and so then they he takes her to the construction site and um what happens then yeah he captures her that gets the shit clawed out of him i mean i don't know if you've ever handled a cat um <laughs> that does not want to be handled but you get the sense that Rachel is unleashing the full cat fury. And Visser 3 is having the time of his life watching this cat scratch the shit out of Ennis oh 224. He's like, oh, what a magnificent animal. Oh, yeah. And then at one point he's like, use your forearm. Hold it with your forearm. He's like coaching him on like how to catch so this cat. Give him the elbow. And then he's like, oh, yeah, you can just pick up your pistol and hold it at like gunpoint because it's a Andalite and knows what a pistol is. Yeah. So the game's up. You know, Chapman, like, points the gunner. He's like, fuck this cat, mm-hmm. you know. And she walks into the, the little cat carrier. So they go to the construction site where they're going to get picked up by Visitor 3, and it's all spooky and it's all ooky. And she's like, Jake, you know, we can't both die here, so I want you to get off me. And he's like, no. She's like, all right, fuck you. And she starts scratching herself. And he's like, oh, okay, 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 stop that. All right, fine. I'm going to get off of you. And she's like, all right, Jake, good. And then she's like, Jake. She's like, actually, I really want you to stay. But she's saying that to test him because she's like, all right, I'm glad yeah. Jake's done. If he's going to be here, he'll respond to this. I really want you to stay. And he doesn't say anything. So she's like, okay, good. I'm really all by myself. And this is scary, but it's fine. Yeah, so this is twice in the same like two-hour span that he's lied to her. Yeah, yeah. Later on, um, as they're like sitting there, and Visitor Three comes up, and he's like, "Ha, Andalite, I'm gonna kill you!" You know, ha ha. And she's like, not trying to thought speak at him because she doesn't want to reveal she's a human. Um, Jake's like, "Hey, what's happening now?" Um, <laughs> she's like, "Fuck you, Jake." <laughs> Where are we? I'm a flea. I can't. I can't see anything. I would love it if, like, every time they showed up randomly, they would say the animal that they were. It's like, "Hey, I'm a flea. What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> so Visitor Three is loaning them onto the bug fighter. And then, because they're at this construction site, 
Somehow these kids, I wrote down Hot Wire and Earth Mover yes. with a yes. question mark. Somehow these kids, I don't know which one knows how to do this, but Cassie and Marco Hot Wire and Earth Mover and just have it start rolling towards the bug fighter and everybody freaks out you know they're like what the fuck and like, yeah so they're, they're there with a bunch of like cork bajir and taxon controllers yeah. right and they're like just there to do this pickup and you know there's a actually a pretty moving moment where chapman has this full redemption arc he mm-hmm. asks to address viscer 3 directly and he basically tells viscer 3 if you try to take my daughter I will make your life hell in whatever small way I possibly can. I will try to take control of this body literally every time. Ask Innis224, I will fuck you up, is essentially what he says. I'm going to like send myself to the madhouse. Um, you will not be able to use this body anymore. And Visitor 3 is like, all right, I guess that's fine. We'll deal with this later. You got me an Andalite. Yeah, you know, bare enough. fuck off. That's fine, whatever. But And he even has some like dark shit about how uh, his wife, uh, I think... What happened is that his wife got him to volunteer, but then it turned out that she had already been infected with the yes. Yerks, so it wasn't even his wife who got him, who convinced him. This book is really leaning into some of those uh, like more adult, dark moments, um, especially near the end when they get the Earth Mover and it's coming up towards the Bug Fighter, and Visser Three is like, "Let's get the get it out of here," and the Taxon is sort of like, "Well, it takes two minutes to launch," and Visser Three is like. Ah, and um, claws open the one taxon. Oh, yes. He's like, you can go ahead and eat him. Time's really running out. Um, Rachel has to run away to change back into a human before she's stuck as a cat forever. Um, And And, uh, all of a sudden, Visitor 3 is a 20-foot tall, what looks like a gorgon in my brain. It's like a rock monster Mm. with a tiny head. And he's just like slamming Mm. his big fist down in front of um in front of jake and in front of rachel as they're trying to flee he's just yeah she's under this thing and he's like yeah tearing up the the thing that she's hiding under and um and then he gets distracted because finally one of these earth movers make it through and you just hear a big boom as the bug fighter explodes and then you have a very inspector gadget moment where dr claw is like i'll get you next time andalites and they (laughs) sprint away Yeah, they all run away. Well, and so Rachel is, like, running off this thing, and she's like, oh, but there's a bunch of rusted metal down there. But, you know, Visitor 3's up there. I gotta I gotta risk it. And so she jumps for the rusted metal, but then at the last second, Tobias catches her. Um, That's right. And, Tobias like, catches yeah, her. Carries her away to safety. And then the final chapter is only, like, a page long where they're like, and Melissa was okay. And <laughs> um, we... <laughs> Did you ever see um, North by Northwest... So at the end, he's hanging off of Mount Rushmore, and they are sort of like, oh, is he going to make it? Like, what? And then it immediately cuts to him, like, toasting the glass with whoever the female lead is. And he's like, well, glad thing, good, glad thing we made it. And then it's the end. And I just remember being like, what? In the balls? And it's sort of the same feeling here, where it's like, you know, big, big climax, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, we did it, gang. Uh, we destroyed a bug fighter, and we made Visser 3 really mad. Then they're like, well, next time, Will. And, you know, Marco's like, next time? What do you mean next time? If I ever... And, they like, and then they're all like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marco! Marco. <laughs> yeah. It has that episodic feel. So we finished the main adventure. We had our beginning, which was our, like, eagle party which introduces everything. We have our main middle thrust with a couple of B-plots, um, the main B-plot being Chapman. And then it's just like, yeah, we'll get them next time. Like, that's the way that I have a feeling these books are going to, as we read more of them, continue to go to. Um, yeah. Small adventures now that we've had the big establishing piece. But, yeah. um, but I mean, that is it. I, I have a few small notes. I'm curious, though, Sam, you had talked about, like, how this piece was much more like adult situations Um, well yeah just the um chapman he thinks that it's his wife and she convinces him to join the aliens basically and i wonder what that scene looks like you know how many people knew like what does the presentation of yurks look like in order to try to get a voluntary host you know what i mean and i just wonder how hopeless and lost you have to feel in order to say like yeah i you win. I'll take the slug in my brain. Yeah. You know? uh, what does that look like? And that so that feels very dark to me. 
um, struggling to like save his daughter is very dark, and Melissa's whole plot line is um, pretty heavy. The you know bit about a friend drifting away from you is certainly heavier than anything that we've seen in like a Goosebumps book. Yeah, it's true. And then the whole bit about the dude in the car at the beginning when Rachel turns into an elephant. Yeah, that is a very dark setup. I mean, for this town in particular, which you get the sense has a small town vibe. Um, yeah. What do you think? I mean, now that this is book two, are you into it? How are you feeling about our Animorphs adventure? I am all in. Uh, I read all of this pretty much in a sitting yesterday, and I loved it. And um, I'm really excited to to get into book three. Nice. I don't remember if it's book three, but I do remember with Tobias, there's some weird, like, maybe time travel stuff. Or, like, Mm. he has, like, a vision quest or something. There's, like, an outside force that he communicates with. Yeah, I can't remember... I think number three... What is number three? The Encounter. The Encounter. And then number four is The Message. This also feels very show bible but there's a lot of setup in this book of the conflict for the next episode, which is there's a whole hmm. lot of... You know, the thing I remember with Tobias' struggle is that in his books, at least for the first couple from his perspective there's a darkness associated with his inability to be human any longer and Mm -hmm. they have a lot of small references towards that in this where marco makes a joke about not being able to be friends with someone who eats rats and then realizes it's off color um you get a sense that tobias like kind of seems to be losing his humanness and he makes vague reference towards it at one point or another they talk about not being able to really understand him and what he's going through and um yeah and there's several instances where they like underline that that's a, a big point of conflict. So there's something that feels like it's seeding the conflict for the next one in there, which again, props. That's really good writing. Um, props. And then the only other thing that I wanted to mention that I thought was really good writing is there's a moment where Chapman is talking about the sharing. He talks about getting two new controllers from the sharing, our front organization. Like, you know, yes. that's. I, I, I noticed that as well. That's, I love that. It's like, it's such a good uh, editor note. I'm guessing that she had just written the sharing in there, or maybe she didn't, who knows. But it's one of those moments that's just hilarious uh, in terms of just, oh, we haven't mentioned the sharing this whole time. We got to put something in there. We can't just say the sharing. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, or we'll go down to the pizza shop, you know, our money laundering organization. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the front. Um, Good. I'm glad you're into it. Um, How about you? Are you into it? Yeah, I am. I really liked this. I, I liked being in a girl's perspective. I kind of felt like um, this was, I don't know, it, it was interesting coming off of Jake and you talked about Jake being a little mm-hmm. shithead. I didn't get that same vibe, <laughs> but I definitely got, you know, Jake Jake feels really um underdeveloped as a character. His arc last time was basically yeah. I need to accept that I need to be a leader, which is kind of a weak arc um to have Yeah, to but go we through. get a lot of like yeah, we get a lot about Rachel's personality and like what she thinks about the world and about other people. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, which she's I very liked she's very in her head she's very social socially aware so she's always kind of thinking about how everybody's interacting too like Mm -hmm. you get a lot of the the character development about the inner workings of the group like she she's constantly commenting on oh marco says this but you know he doesn't mean it or she'll comment when things go too far or she'll do things like at one point she makes a, a joke that she knows kind of hurts marco's feelings but she blinks at him twice to let him know that she's kidding like there's yeah, like things she's very like that. socially aware. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that uh, felt a lot nicer to be in the head of, of, of that type of character. So I, I feel like if number one, this felt cleaner, it felt smoother. If number one's kind of the crazy mm-hmm. adventure story, this felt interesting and self contained. I remember Tobias being my favorite books, but I was also like Me too. Yeah, I was like an emotional artist sad boy though. So I don't know if that's just because <laughs> like I could finally relate to uh, the protagonist that wasn't like a, a jockey yeah. Jake boy. The outsider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Billy yeah. the Blue Ranger. I was always Billy the Blue Ranger playing Power Rangers. I was never the Red Ranger. He's and they sort of start to do that in this book where they're like assigning colors and outfits. Like Marco is like, you should have this outfit. That's right. Marco, yeah, Marco is, uh, 
Yeah, he he's going for X Men stuff. He's he's color coordinating. He's talking yeah. about what's in. Yeah, he's he's got some personality in this one too. It's not just yeah. shitty, you know, which is kind of the last one. He's like, I'm <laughs> shitty and I'm annoying. That's the way Jake describes it. Jake's like, Marco just likes to be annoying, and Rachel says that too. Yeah. But you get a lot more of him, like the other sides of him in this. Um, yeah, she also has a moment where she's like, oh, he's just making jokes because he's scared or whatever, which Jake doesn't really do. You know, I, I really liked Rachel's point of view. This might be one of my, like, top three. This is definitely one of the top three books that I that we've read together so far hmm. um, and might be even vying for top, I have to say. I nice. don't know, all the all the ones. Yeah, I liked it much better than rereading the first one. And, I'm mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very excited for the next. All right, so what are we doing next time, Sam? So next time we're going to read The Encounter in Worf's book number three. We're going to talk about the show a little bit. Um, and then let's uh, let's talk soon about getting a, a guest person. I think we have uh, a few people who would love to be um, part of the conversation. So um, so let's, our, let's our fans, um, all of our fans out there, uh, vote on who you want as a guest to come on to our show. <laughs> Uh, yeah. hit um, Sam up um, on his DMs in Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Hit me up on Instagram, and and uh, yeah, follow, like, and um, subscribe. Oh yeah, I don't know. is that what people say? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, the, the, click, like, click the the like button to get notification. Ring the bell to get notifications. Listen, Ben, may the Condrona shine and strengthen you. <laughs> May the Condrona and and also you. Wait, let's do that again. We can, as long as we're doing this, let's do it right. <laughs> okay. Ben, or I guess I'm not just saying it to you. I'm saying it to everybody, aren't I? Because that's sort of our sign off. This but... is our guys. This is we've been working for weeks on this um, sign off. We're gonna get there. Okay, um, let's just just yeah. do it. Uh, well, everybody, may the Condrona shine and strengthen you. Yeah, everybody, uh, Condrona sh- shine. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh no, Ben's host body is taking over. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a gun. <laughs> He's got a gun. <laughs>